So I've been preaching here for a little over eight years now. And there have been some things that I've repeated over and over again. Some things that sometimes I feel like a broken record, but it's important. And so I keep saying it over and over. And if there's one thing that I've said repeatedly, it's the importance of context. As we read through the scripture, it's important for us to know the audience. Who was this written to? Not only the people or the location, but their culture. Who were they as a people? And, and who was it that wrote this to them? What was on that person's mind? What, how did they understand? Because we need to know how they understood it to, in order to understand how that audience understood it so that we can understand how we need to understand it. Because so many times... In the church, we don't take time to understand the context. And verses have been taken out of context many, many times. And when that happens, when we take verses out of their context and we use them as they were not intended to be used, it's dangerous. And it's hurtful. And sometimes, sometimes it's even funny. A little while back, a few months ago, my family found this game at Barnes & Noble called The Bible is Funny. And the whole point, it's, it's like an apples-to-apples apples type of game, like card game. And the whole point is to take scripture out of context. And for, for humorous effect, here, here are some examples. If you need a scripture verse about, you know, that, that pain that you have deep down when you need to use the bathroom, but there's not one readily available to you? Well, you might want to look to Jeremiah 4.19, where it says, My bowels, my bowels, I am pained at my very heart. My heart maketh a noise in me. I cannot hold my peace, because thou hast heard, O my soul, the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. Or if you're in the middle of those heated debates or arguments and you are not going to waver, you have to have the final word. Job says, I will not agree that you are right until my dying day. Some of them are, are more practical than that. If you need a, a verse to just like put on your mirror in the bathroom to remind you of the importance of personal hygiene, look no further. For the scripture says, my breath is offensive to my wife and my own family finds me repulsive. And finally, one last one. This is, this is for you guys. When you've said what you shouldn't have said and you've dug yourself into a hole and you find yourself sleeping on the couch, God's got your back. For remember, as it says in Proverbs, it is better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and an angry woman. The Bible is funny and we can take scripture out of context and it can be funny when we know that we're doing it. When we know that, that that's not really what scripture is trying to say, but when we do it unintentionally or when we do it intentionally for ill effect, it's no laughing matter. And so we've taken 
great pains to uh, ensure that we understand the context of what we are reading as we've been going through Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. We have had to do just that. Because as we've said over and over, this letter that was written, it wasn't written to you. Paul wrote to a specific church at a specific point in their life. And when Paul wrote it, Paul knew what he was talking about. And when, he, when they read it, they understood the, the context, they understood the culture that was around them, so they knew what Paul was talking about. But you and I, when Paul wrote this, he was not picturing us. He wasn't picturing some church on a continent that hadn't even been discovered yet, halfway across the globe, thinking, you know, in 2,000 years, how are these people going to understand the words that I'm writing down. The author and the audience understood what was being said, but we are the outsiders. We are coming at it in a completely different time, in a completely different culture, and so we have to do our homework. We have to go that extra mile in order to understand what's being said, and that's what we've been doing. As we've looked throughout this letter that Paul wrote, We've been doing exactly that. When we came to the passages about meat being sacrificed to idols and whether the church should or shouldn't partake in it, it was easy to look at it and say, well, that's not applicable to us. We don't need to worry about what Paul's saying. But as we understood the context, as we understood the issue at hand, well, then we could see the eternal wisdom that Paul was sharing, not only to that church, but how it applied to us in our time and in our circumstances. As Paul was telling the church about their, their misuse of tongues and, and this whole issue, as we look at the context, we can understand what's going on and how we can apply that. When Paul talked about head coverings while prophesying, we were able to take a step back. We were able to look at the context in order to determine, is this something that is for everybody, it's a universal command for all people and all time and all Christendom, or was this something that Paul was addressing a specific issue within this specific church at this specific time? And so we've had to put in all this extra work in order to understand what Paul has been saying. And we have to continue to do that as we're, as we're continuing in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We come to a scriptural debate. It's something that we kind of, we looked at the verse last week, but I kind of glossed over it because it wasn't pertinent to that conversation, but it's becoming important. And here's what I mean. Last week, we read 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33. And we read it in the New International Version. And as we did, here's what it said. It said, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. But there are other translations that differ slightly. Not the words. The words are the same. The words are in the same order. They mean the same thing. But, but how it's punctuated, how it's set up, changes slightly. Like in the, in the Christian Standard Bible, it says it this way. Since God is not a God of disorder... But of peace as in all the churches of the saints and you see 
rather than having it all as one sentence, it's almost like the first part of it is just tacked on to verse 32, and the last part is like a precursor to verse 33. And maybe you would be wondering, well, why would there even be a debate about that? It's pretty obvious Verse 33, we know the beginning and the end of that verse. Why don't we just have the punctuation reference the beginning and end of that verse? And that's because those chapters and verse references haven't always been there. They were provided later. When Paul wrote his letter, he was not thinking, okay, now here's the beginning of verse 33, and this is what I want to say in verse 33, and here's what I want to say in verse 34. He just wrote a letter, and it was shared as one long text and later as the church continued to reference it church leaders came back and to make it easier to reference and to point out certain portions of this letter the chapters and the verse markings were added at a later date for our benefit and even when it comes to the punctuation you would think well just use the punctuation that that paul used and we'll get the same meaning but he wrote it in a totally different language. And punctuation in Greek doesn't work how we normally think of it in English. And so there's been some debate about how this verse is to be divided up and how it's to be understood. And you could say, well, you know, that's all good and well, but it doesn't change anything. That's like semantics, the, the theologians, pastors, you can talk about that stuff. But as far as the average Joe What difference does it make if we include it as one sentence or we divide it and include this half here and that half there? And you can say that because we haven't read verse 34 yet. But as we get into verse 34, you can see the issue that this may cause. So let's let's go ahead and read verses 34 and 35, but we're going to tack on that last bit of 33 to give that context. As it reads, it says, as in all the churches of the saints, the women should be silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to submit themselves as the law also says. If they want to learn something, let them ask their own husband at home, since it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Good thing we read that Proverbs verse, guys. Because as we, as we get into this, as we just do that, that precursory surface reading, not digging into it, just looking at, at the words as they are presented, Paul's pretty much saying, ladies, you got to be quiet. You're not allowed to be speaking up in church. You're not allowed to be asking questions. If you have any questions, then you need to go home and ask your husband or your father or whoever it is in the privacy of your own home. But when you come into church, ladies, you need to be quiet. And he gives two different reasons for that. If we're including the end of verse 33, then the first reason is that's what all the other churches are doing. Every other church functions in this way, and so... We need to do likewise. And the second one is an appeal to God's law, where he says, this is what God's law says. And so you need to follow it. And this is where context is important. 
to understand what Paul is saying, to understand how we are to interpret what Paul is communicating to this church, it's important to look at the context, to look at all of what is being said. Because if we look at this context, we immediately see some problems, not just with this passage and other passages throughout Scripture, but we see issue with this passage and stuff that Paul has already said in this same letter. If you remember back in chapter 11, Paul was talking about how it is that, that women are to prophesy with their heads covered. In fact, you know what, I'll just go ahead and read it. In case you don't remember, back in chapter 11, starting with verse 5, Paul gives this instruction saying, Every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since that is one and the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman doesn't cover her head, she should have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her head be covered. Now, as we look at Paul's instructions there, Paul is laying out how the church is to behave, and in this case in particular, how women are to behave when they pray and when they prophesy. And those are two actions that generally require speaking. And so it seems contradictory then for Paul to be saying, women, when you prophesy and when you pray, when you speak out in this way, this is how you're supposed to do it. But don't do it. You need to remain quiet. It seems like Paul's not arguing with other pieces of scripture. Paul is in disagreement here with, with Paul. Now, there have been lots of ways that the church has tried to reconcile this to, to figure out what exactly Paul means and, and how to apply it. And, and one of the arguments, one of the arguments goes back to chapter 11 and says, church is not the only context in which women would pray and prophesy. Therefore, Paul is telling them, you can pray and you can prophesy, and when you do it, you need to do it in this manner, but you're not doing that in church. When it comes to church, when you come into the church services, then you just need to remain quiet. And, I mean, on a technical level, yes, that would reconcile it. It doesn't specifically say that these women are prophesying in church, and so... You know, if we squint and we look at it in a particular way, yes, we could come. It's, it's a stretch, but that understanding works. But what I want to look at is Paul's second reason, because I think that's even more important. Remember, he said the two reasons, all the other churches are doing it this way, and also he made an appeal that this is also what God's law says. I think that carries a lot more weight than this is what the other churches are doing. This one's interesting because if we look at Paul, as we look at all of his other letters, as we look at his ministry within the book of Acts, it's really interesting because Paul is the one that time and time again is pushing against this idea that we are bound by the law, that we have to, to follow all the rules 
of the law. In fact, this is highlighted in Romans chapter 7, where he says, But now we have been released from the law, since we have died to what held us, so that we may serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the old letter of the law. As we look at Paul's ministry in Acts, Acts chapter 15 in particular, Paul had been going around and teaching these, these new Christians, these Gentiles that came to faith in Christ. And as he was telling them about Jesus, there were other Jewish people who were coming along behind him saying, yeah, we're glad that you believe in Jesus. Now here's the law and you need to follow all of this. You need to be circumcised and you need to do this and that. And Paul took great issue with that. So much so that he went to the, the high church council and said, we need to weigh in on this. Because we have this freedom in Christ. And there are these other people saying that we still have to abide by the entirety of the law, in particular circumcision. And he asked them to weigh in, and they agreed with him. Just as Paul has been saying over and over again, we are not bound by the law. We have freedom from the law. So here it is, Paul arguing for the law, and we have Paul arguing against the law. So what gives? What, what has changed his perspective in, in this verse in particular? And I think it comes down to context. It comes down to understanding the point Paul has been trying to make in this entire letter. We've said it over and over again. We can, we can summarize the entirety of 1 Corinthians in one word. And we've repeated it time and time again. In fact, on the title slide for this entire sermon series, that one word is there. Do you remember the whole point of 1 Corinthians? We summarized it in just one sentence by saying it this way. We have freedom but we need unity. This is the context. This core message gives great insight into what Paul is instructing here. Because as we've addressed many different issues, when, when Paul came to the issue of meat that was sacrificed to idols, and there were questions of, of, can we do this? Can we eat this meat? And Paul's answer to them was, yes. You have that freedom. You can eat that meat. You can do that. When it came to this gift of tongues and how it was being used, there was the question of, can we speak in tongues? And Paul's answer to them was, yes, you have this freedom. And when it came to, to prophesying and women prophesying, he said, yes, you can do this. You have this freedom every single one of those he gave this but when it came to meat being sacrificed to idols he said yes you have this freedom but if your freedom is hurting somebody else if your freedom is getting in the way of somebody else give up your freedoms when it came to this gift of tongues he said yes you can use this but we need to build unity. We need to come together. And so we need to do it in an orderly fashion. When it came to, to prophesying, he said, yes, you can do this, 
but let's do it in the right way for the sake of unity so that we can all get along. So that we can come together and be a unified body as God has called us to be. Do you remember why Paul gave the instruction for women to have their heads covered? As we go back into chapter 11, do you remember why it was that he said this is how you should do it? Why he said, women, you're to do it this way. You know what? If you're not going to do that, then you might as well just shave your heads. And he gave the, the opposite, the alternate for men, saying, men, you need to keep your hair short. What was his reason? He said it in both cases. He said, if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her head shaved, then keep your head covered. Likewise, he said it was disgraceful for a man to have long hair. Now, we covered this before. Let me ask you a question. Is it sinful for a man to have long hair? I'm not asking your personal opinion. You can have your own opinion. That's fine. But is it sinful? Is there a command of God that says, men, you are not allowed to have long hair. And if you have long hair, this is a sin against God. Because Paul easily could have said that. Paul easily could have said, it is a sin for men to have long hair. It is a sin for women to have short hair. But he doesn't say that because it's not in there. If it was a sin to have long hair, then Samson and all the other guys that took the Nazarite vow, well, they were sinning against God. Instead, Paul says it is disgraceful. It's not that it's a sin, it's, it's shameful for them. And that's the same word that he uses when he's talking about women speaking in church. He says it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in church. And this is telling because he doesn't say that it's sinful. And this, this tells us something more. Just like as we looked at chapter 11. And we said this isn't, this isn't something that's applicable to everybody for all time. Culture has changed. It's no longer disgraceful. Some of you may disagree. But... It's no longer disgraceful for a man to have long hair, for a woman to even have her head shaved. The cultural norms have changed. And we see the same, the same word, the same reasoning taking place in chapter 14 with regard to women speaking in church. Because this was a church, this was a church that was stretching its legs. They were, they were very much about their Christian freedoms. We've addressed that over and over again throughout this letter. This church was saying, we have this freedom, let's go ahead and do this. And it was ruffling some feathers. It was creating problems. It was creating disunity. And so what Paul is saying here, you have your freedoms, but you need to be aware of the culture in which you live so that 
You're not driving people away so that you're not bringing disunity. Because in all the different areas that the church was stretching their legs, whether it was meat or tongues or prophecy or, or however many different ways they were stretching their legs and they were exerting their Christian freedom, Paul never told them, you are wrong. But instead, he told them, let's do it in a way that's going to build unity because the culture in that day, I understand as we read passages like this, our knee-jerk reaction is, oh my goodness, that is so sexist. How could Paul say something like that? But it was a completely different culture. They had different understandings about what men should do and how men should act and what women should do and how women should act. It was a completely foreign culture to us. In that, in that culture, it was commonly taught that women couldn't learn. Like, there was no point in even trying. They, they just were inferior to men in that way. And so why waste your time? Don't even do it. We need to keep them separated and we need to, to not even teach them to read, write, all of those things. That was the, the common understanding. And women, even so far as they weren't allowed to talk to other men. They could talk to their husband and that was it. But it was culturally taboo. There's not a law, it's not a sin, but when a woman would do that, it was considered improper. Just as a woman with short hair was considered a prostitute and a guy with long hair was considered a vagrant. The culture was different, and so, understanding that, Paul's instruction here takes on a whole new light. Because he's not telling them, don't teach your women. Culture said, don't teach your women. But Paul said, teach them. Help them to learn. Help them to understand. But we live in this culture. We live in this society. So do that at home. Because as we try and do this, as we exert our Christian freedom, we are causing disunity. And so Paul's trying to straddle this Christian freedom and the cultural expectations and, and drive the church to have their freedoms, but to facilitate unity in the church. And I understand that the argument against this would be, but we have to push back. I mean, if there is something wrong in the church, in culture, we need to push back. How is anything going to change if we don't push against the cultural norms, I mean, if there were, if people did not push for equal voting rights, if people did not push for equal pay and, and equal legal representation, blacks wouldn't be able to vote today. Women wouldn't have the freedoms that they have today. If nobody pushed the boundaries of the cultural norms, nothing would have changed. We are where we are today because those pioneers were willing to push against the cultural norms. And that's absolutely true. And yes, we absolutely need to do that. But just as with all the other freedoms, there's that but. And I think Paul addresses that but in verse 36, where he says, Or did the word of God originate from you? 
Or did it come to you only? Saying, are you the ones who came up with this idea? Are you the ones who have, have been teaching? Are, are you the ones that, that all of this came through that you're trying to, to show everybody else? Because if you're the only church, then, then you can dictate these things. You can tell everybody because you are the source, you are the origin. But you're not. It's not all about you. It's not about what you want. It's about us doing this together. Our country is polarized right now. I think we could all agree to that. We seem to have people going to extremes on both sides, and both sides want to force the others to do what they want. How's that working out for us? Not so well. Maybe we have good points. On both sides of the aisle, maybe there are good reasons to implement the policy changes and to make the laws that we want. Maybe there are good reasons, but the way that we're going about it, all it's doing is creating fighting and division and polarization further and further to the point that nobody's listening to each other. And as we, as we try to force other people to do what we want, even if we are right, as we try to force others to just do what we say because we said it, it doesn't bring unity. It doesn't bring us together. It only serves to drive us farther and farther apart. And that's exactly the point of this letter, is to bring us closer and closer together. He's not saying don't address these issues. He's saying when you do it, don't try to force other churches. Don't try to force other people. But let's have those conversations. Let's have our Christian freedoms. But when our Christian freedoms start bringing disunity, when it starts dividing us apart, well, then set your freedoms aside for the sake of one another. And he goes on to give the instruction saying, if anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should recognize that what I write to you is the Lord's command. If anyone ignores this, he will be ignored. And it's really easy. It's, it's tempting to read this and just apply it to the whole women speaking in church thing and say, well, God says that women need to be quiet in church. And if you disagree with me, if you don't recognize that this is the word of God, well, then tough on you. But this is in conclusion of all of this that Paul has been saying. This is a conclusion to, to not just these couple verses that came before, but the entirety of what Paul has been saying in, in chapter 14 and even before that, as he's talked about order in church, as he's talked about love for one another, as he's talked about unity, he's saying if you don't recognize, if you don't recognize that God has called us to be united together as one body in Christ, if you don't recognize God's call, if you're not willing to submit to what God has said, well then, why should we listen to you? If you're not going to submit yourselves to God, why should we submit to you? And then he closes in verse 39. 
So then, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in other tongues. But everything is to be done decently and in order. All of this, all of what he's been saying, all of his instructions for meat and how we're to eat it, for prophesying and how we're supposed to do that, for the use of tongues and all spiritual gifts, all of it comes down to this, that we are to be united. We can have difficult conversations. That's what family does. As we live life together, we're going to have disagreements. We're going to have people at different levels of maturity. And we're going to have to work that out. But if we charge forward and try to bust down walls and, and exert, I have my rights and I have my freedoms and I can speak in tongues whenever I want or I can do whatever and say whatever I want, we're going to cause disunity and we're going to hurt one another. And as Paul has said repeatedly in these last few chapters, the purpose of the spiritual gifts that we've been given is to build up the church for the common good. Over and over, he keeps repeating, we have our freedoms, but we need unity. And as I come to this passage about women speaking in church, the more I dig into it, the more I study it's another one of those things. He doesn't say it's a sin. He says, guys, you have your freedoms. Exercise your freedoms. But build up the church. Build up unity. Come together as brothers and sisters in Christ. That we may march hand in hand. That the body may work together. Because you're not alone. It's not just about you. It's about us. And if you recognize that God's behind all of this, then let's stand hand in hand, let's join together that the body of Christ may be built up. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the wisdom that you gave to Paul. And even though we have to go through some extra hoops, even though we have to do some extra homework to understand what's being said across time and across culture, God, we thank you for the freedoms that we have. That we're not bound by the law, that you have satisfied the law that we could not satisfy. And that you have imparted to us your righteousness. And so God, may we continue to strive closer and closer to you, relishing in the freedoms that you have given us, but seeking unity across denominations, across the aisle in our own church, whatever it may be, God, may we seek to understand one another. And may we seek to understand who you are and who you have called us to be. God, as we face these issues moving forward, I pray that, that our desire would be for unity. That we would bring others to maturity, that, that we ourselves would mature. And that we wouldn't be content to just stay with the way things are. But God, as we look to you and as we look to your wisdom, 
into the freedoms that you have given us and build up one another in the process. We thank you for who you are and the freedoms that you've given us. I pray that you help us to navigate these murky waters as we live life together. Pray this in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you and we'll see you next week.